Before you dive into this exciting episode, I'd like to let you know about the Squash Playbook, your tactical blueprint for success. The playbook is written based on the most common solutions I have given to the people I coach over the last 20 years. It is the ultimate how-to guide for any squash fan, and you can grab a free copy right away by visiting squashplaybook.com or clicking on the link in the show notes. Are you freaked out by that hard-hitting hacker? Frustrated with running out of ideas against the relentless retriever? Want to close out matches more clinically when in the lead? Or do you need some mental tools to overcome bad calls by referees? These answers plus many more have been brought together all in one place for the squash community. The Squash Playbook is a practical toolkit that breaks down over 40 scenarios that are most commonly faced on the court. Each scenario provides the psychology and the strategy needed to get a positive result. Each chapter wraps up with the top six key points to keep things simple and practical. The aim of the book is to transform reactive players into proactive tacticians. I focus on breaking down complex situations into straightforward, effective strategies for those high pressure moments in a match. So why not grab your copy now and step onto the court next time with a clear head and a set of strategies to win those matches you know you're capable of. Please enjoy the show. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to your next episode of the podcast series. Today, I welcome Matt Gill. Matt is a multifaceted practitioner, deeply rooted in the world of wellness and fitness. With a journey spanning over 15 years, Matt has not only mastered the art of yoga, but has also become a certified breathwork coach with the Oxygen Advantage program. His expertise doesn't stop there. He's a mobility specialist certified in the functional range conditioning system, a testament to his deep understanding of the human body's capabilities and limitations. Beyond his professional qualifications, Matt's passion for racket sports, notably squash and racquetball, showcases his dedication to not only teaching wellness, but living it. His approach to wellness is holistic, integrating the physical, mental and spiritual aspects to enhance performance both on and off the court. Our conversation today dives deep into Matt's journey from the squash courts to his youth to the yoga mats of India and beyond. Matt shares with us how an injury led him to explore the realms of yoga and mindfulness, transforming not just his recovery process, but his approach to life and sport. His stories of personal growth and discovery are interwoven with practical advice on how we too can apply the principles of yoga breathwork and mobility to our daily lives and athletic pursuits. We delve into the specifics of how yoga and breathwork can elevate your game in squash and other high-intensity sports. Matt breaks down the scientific and intuitive aspects of breathing, mobility and mindfulness, providing listeners with actionable steps to incorporate these practices into their training routines. Expect to uncover the symbiotic relationship between physical health and mental well-being as Matt expands on the profound impact of mindfulness practices on athletic performance. His insight into the integration of Eastern philosophies with Western science offer a refreshing perspective on holistic health and its benefits beyond the physical realm. 
Moreover, Matt gives us a sneak peek into his business, Yoga for Squash. His innovative approach to blending the dynamic demands of squash with the grounding practices of yoga. This unique fusion promises not just improved flexibility and strength, but a deeper connection with one's body and breath, unlocking new levels of performance and enjoyment in the sport. So without further ado, let's get into the show to help elevate your mental game in sports and life. Please welcome Matt Gill. Matt Gill, welcome to the next episode of the podcast series. Really chuffed we can talk today. I know we went a bit back and forth at one point, and yeah, apologies all on me that one. <laughs> Let you down a couple of times, but thanks for making the time to talk today. As always, a great way to kick off is to please give a brief description of yourself. Description? Brief introduction of yourself. <laughs> you can try to describe yourself if you want, but a brief introduction of yourself and what you're currently doing and getting up to. Thanks, Jesse. Nice to be here. So thanks for uh, welcoming me on the podcast. Um, yeah, description, about 5'8", bald head, but <laughs> in terms of what I do. Good, um, good look, by the way. Like, don't yeah. <laughs> Again, you well, might only work on the beard a little bit. Yeah, yeah just like you might catch up. Bushy as yours, but um, in any case, uh, yeah, I'm a yoga teacher. I've been teaching yoga, uh, well, practicing and teaching yoga for over 15 years now. I am also a breath work coach, so I'm qualified with the Oxygen Advantage. I'm a mobility specialist in the functional range conditioning system, and I am a, a, a club hacker, squash effectiveness player, and a racquetball player. Fantastic. And let's just keep with your journey to this point, because I think it's always interesting how people find their passion, get into the thing they love, start expressing themselves with it. Obviously, we're looking at it from quite a squash lens as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, talk us through that. Like, where did squash come into your life, and maybe even the transition into mindfulness, yoga, breathwork, all these cool things that I really love as well. Yeah. So um, I got into squash through my dad. He played, and I was always down the squash club as a kid. Just natural at some point, pick up a racket and start having a little hit. Um, and there was a good junior squad down at my club when I was uh, when I was a kid. So played all the time. Uh, never really. In terms of like serious coaching, I never really had one-to-one -one coaching. I just loved running around and hitting a ball, really. Mm -hmm. um, played the county junior tournaments, you know, finished, placed top 10 a number of times, but was never really involved in the county setup. Um, right. But then I think I was about 15 or 16. I had quite a nasty injury, uh, a really bad hamstring tear. So I sort of drifted away from the game for a little bit. And also you're at that age where there's other distractions and mm -hmm. you know so exams not uh, such just distractions um so kind of drifted away for a couple of years and then got back into it at university so went up there and started playing we had um steve townsend i don't know oh, yes. if yeah yeah very very well yeah. my uh my my level four badges with him so yeah very, very yeah yeah so he was our coach and also our number one when i was uh playing in the team there so i was playing lower down the order in the first team with him and then from there, you know, post-university, it was just playing Kent and Surrey leagues, really, for yeah. a number of years. And over that course of time, um, at one point in my late 20s, I ended up going to India. That's where I first tried yoga. And then from there, that was a gradual progression over the years, getting deeper and deeper into that practice. Um, mm. And there was a kind of a transition point as well. It was around my mid-30s. Again, a, another injury, not a, a serious one, just a kind of a knee meniscus thing. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I'd been playing league squash for a long time, uh, you know, the Surrey and Kent leagues. And I was a bit tired of it, balancing it with a job, doing two matches a week by Wednesdays. I would, you know, the match on Monday and Tuesday by Wednesday, I was exhausted. So again, I drifted away from the squash and really started focusing on the yoga. And I was mm. deep into the practice at that point, doing two hours a day each morning before work and um, really sort of went down that rabbit hole. And over the years of practicing yoga, obviously qualified as, uh, as a teacher, um, I also trained as a, a mindfulness-based stress reduction coach. I got heavily into mindfulness. I was lucky enough to uh, go on a yatra and spiritual pilgrimage around India with a Buddhist teacher um, in my late 30s. And, and from there, over the more recent years, I'd say over the last six or seven years, um, really looking also at the scientific aspects of the practice. So we learn a lot in yoga about different breathing techniques, for example, different ways of moving, uh, but really was interested to add the more scientific understanding of, of those elements to my, uh, to my repertoire. So that's what brought me initially to uh, train as a yoga for sport teacher, and then as a functional range conditioning uh, mobility specialist, and more recently still as a, a oxygen advantage breathwork coach so uh, hopefully that gives you a little uh, understanding of the trajectory 
Mm, and we're definitely going to unpack parts of your story and how that also links into, you know, practical tools for people, anyone listening, you know, I think, I think a lot of the audience like the, uh, the practical side of what we talk about as well. So we're going to get into that and, um, you don't know this, but actually I was watching some replays of the auction advantage from the last batch because I'm on the current batch and I saw your oh, little okay. logo, I saw your name or the, like, kind of your profile on there. So it's kind of oh, weird. Great. I was like watching Patrick talk about stuff. I was like, I zoomed, I was like, oh, that's Matt over there. So yeah, I've literally yeah. just finished a couple of days ago with my seven day with Patrick and I'm busy writing my exams and great. the case studies. And it's incredible. How, how good is that? that course? It's a brilliant yes. course. Really good course. Yeah. And who, who are you doing you, the rest of your training with? Uh, it was all Patrick for seven days. It was like, so we did, I did it with Patrick. I don't know about the rest of the training. Cause I, oh, okay. what I believe so it's like, so you're just, are you going over to see him at any point or, uh, no, no, no. The plan is, I think the next the, steps yeah. is, is do your exam, do your case studies, submit them, and then hopefully, you know, become yeah. qualified in that sense. But yeah, like you said, the science side is fascinating, isn't it? I, that, that's what I like. And the, the idea of like East meets West, you know, I think, I think we know the, the Eastern philosophies of, you know, the mindfulness and yoga and Buddhism and slowing down. I think we all appreciate what it is, but yeah. now it's really nice that we can overlap the, the Western it's, science of it, isn't it? It's amazing how much was known intuitively, um, but without the language or the modalities to explain it scientifically. So just if we look at the nervous system. Quickly, we, you know, as you know, you'll know from your training, there's the two branches of the autonomic nervous system, the, the sympathetic fight or flight and the parasympathetic rest or digest. So in yoga, they were talking about this, but in terms of cooling energies and, and heating energies, it's the very same things. They're invoking the same sort of practices like lengthening the out breath to invoke the moon energy or what we would now know as parasympathetic response. So as you say, that overlap is quite fascinating. Mm. And that's really interesting what you said there. Obviously, you you know you've gone to India a couple of times. You've done some things. You might not know the answer to this, but what do you think the traditional teachers think about the wording that the Westerners use? So, like you know, they talk obviously like moon and heat and cold. We'll say parasympathetic, sympathetic, sciency. Is there a little bit of you know? I'm sure they'll still practice it their way and kind of speak in their language. Do they kind of look not down at the West? But do you know what I'm trying to ask? There, it's quite a, just it's just I, a thought. I understand like, what you're you know, trying to ask, and I think you know the yoga that we practice in the West is very much divorced from its original context. Okay. So we see yoga primarily as perhaps a movement practice with breathwork elements, with mindfulness elements. Um, but we see it as a practice that helps us, uh, from a wellness perspective. So it helps us move through life, uh, a little easier and it helps mm -hmm. us to move physically. It helps us to breathe better. It helps us to manage the ups and downs as they come along. Yoga in India is a very different context. So yoga in its original form is a practice that it's designed to transcend the world. So to achieve spiritual transcendence. So frankly, I think the very traditional yoga teachers will completely ignore everything that yes, we could think because they're coming from a completely different place. Mm. And, and that's, again, I find that super interesting because obviously you're in the West, we're in the West, a lot of stuff that we do will be to the Western audience. So, you know. I, I don't know how, if, if your teachings have evolved, knowing about the science of it, can, can you comment on that? Obviously you might've come into it with the very Eastern ways and maybe bring it back to the West, but then with the science background, have you started to rephrase it or do it slightly different or not? Like, like what, what's your journey like then? But the very first time I practiced yoga, as I say, was in India, I was on holiday in India and it was with a traditional teacher and it was one of the most insane experiences of my life. It was. It was so alien to anything that I'd ever done. Uh, we began with very strong Kriya's breathing practices. Uh, I just didn't know what to do. I, I, I was, you know, trying to follow along. And then we got to the asana, the, the, the uh, physical posture part of the practice. Um, and I was stiff as a board. I, you know, I, I was in my twenties. I had done a lot of gym work, you know, you're in your twenties, you want aesthetics and that sort of thing totally neglected any sort of stretching and it was simultaneously one of the most painful experiences, but also I just felt amazing at the end of it. I felt absolutely brilliant at the end of it. And, um, it was something that I just thought there's something in this. I'm not sure what it is. And it was probably just a connection to my body that I hadn't really had for, for a long time. Mm. And then obviously I then went back to to the UK and then you start to practice then in a very Western context. So different teachers will have different emphasis. Um, but for me, there always was a more physical than spiritual dimension to the practice. I'm not going to yeah. discount the, the spiritual aspect, mm -hmm. but I was always interested in the body, how the body worked, 
that. Um, so those types of elements were always there for me as the foundations. And over the years, I've, I've built from that place. Mm, that's really cool. I like that. And yeah, it's very fascinating. Like, you know, I can imagine you're like, yeah, I'll nail this. this is just like a little side hustle. And then all of a sudden yeah. you get kind of completely broken. And um, so just fast forwarding a tiny bit, Yoga for Squash, it's your company, it's your business. You, you've set it yeah. up. I'm interested to know more about it. So, you know, yes, it's, it's, it's niche and I love niches and I love talking about them. Um, yeah. So yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about Yoga for Squash? Well, as I say, I've been teaching yoga for a long time. I, I've taught different populations. So I've taught general pop. I've taught uh, sport people. I've taught uh, people with um, kind of chronic conditions such as fibromyalgia. And over recent years, as we were discussing before we started recording, I've been kind of re uh, reigniting my passion for squash over the last few years. And I've been getting more and more back into it. And it just made sense to me that I would bring those two things together. The two things that I love most are yoga. Uh, and by that, I mean the, the physical breath work, the, the other aspects we'll get onto and squash then the two things. So it made sense to me to bring those together. And I certainly think there's a lot of scope to help people with these practices in squash, particularly the breathing at all levels of the game, as I'm sure you agree, having done your, your OA training, but equally, um, mobility is a really important practice to make sure we're prehabbing the body so that we're, we're able to, uh, take the demands of the game. Flexibility is probably often under, uh, given less focus than it, than it should. So I just think there's a lot of opportunity to help people with these practices within the context of squash. Mm. Right. Yeah. Like I said, we're going to maybe dive into that and get a bit more yeah. granular. And on that note, let's, um, let's dive into, to something a little bit more possibly sciencey, even a little bit more practical, yeah. um, oxygen advantage. I'm actually here to learn yeah. from you if I'm being honest. So I'm being, <laughs> <laughs> I just finished that I'm going to be a bit of a student, but anyone listening, I'm sure would love this as well. So yeah, oxygen advantage training, you obviously learned a lot. You've been probably applying it, tweaking it a little bit for your given sport or your situation. Yeah. Go right to the kind of big picture and then we'll zoom out. How does this apply to squash players? Why would a squash player pay attention to anything to do with breathing? They fit, they strong, they breathe anyway. Forget breathing. I'm just going to train harder. What's your, what's your way to kind of convince them that we need to be more conscious with our yeah. brain? It's good. And, um, you know, just as a little aside, I remember hearing Tanya Bailey say on your podcast, um, that when she was playing, they were taught how to breathe. And she was like, why do, why do we need to learn how to breathe? Because it's important. It's the foundation. Um, if we're not breathing correctly, then everything, it's, it's, as I say, it's the foundation. If that's not in place, you might as well throw everything else out the window. So when we breathe correctly, we deliver oxygen more efficiently to our cells, to our muscles and cells. When we breathe correctly, we improve our core stability and strength. We can even improve our visual spatial awareness. We reduce uh, hydration, uh, hydration loss. So we're, we're expelling less, uh, water when, when we're exhaling, it's absolutely everything. So if you're not breathing correctly, it's your engine, right? Your lungs, your cardiovascular system is your engine. If you've not got that right, then you might have to forget everything else. So that would be my answer. To that. That's a pretty, pretty, pretty solid one. If you're not paying attention yeah. to that, it's like, let's get stuck in. And obviously squash players. It, we, we obviously know the demands of the sport, um, yes. you know, that kind of anaerobic versus aerobic, the matches can be yeah. 45 yeah. minutes to an hour, but it's lots of short bursts, lots of short sprints as well. Yeah. So if you were to take on a squash player, that's, you know, wanting yeah. to improve their game, where do we start? Like, how would you take yeah. them? Obviously I'd maybe framing it up with the science, but then even the practical side, what are you thinking? Yeah. So let's think first about, uh, the aerobic aspect. So building the aerobic base, the first thing is breathe through your nose, not through your mouth. And that sounds. It might sound obvious and people might be thinking, well, of course I breathe through my nose, but a lot of people don't. And I'd also say to those people, walk up a couple of flights of stairs and then see what's happening at the top. Are you still breathing through your nose or are you breathing through your mouth? So the reason we want to breathe through our nose within that uh, aerobic threshold, again, I've already mentioned a few things, but firstly, it helps us to correctly engage the muscles of breathing. So the diaphragm, you carry it's a little bit of resistance to airflow. It helps us to fully engage the diaphragm. So that's the first thing. When we breathe through the nose, we're also benefiting from uh, this magic little gas in the nostrils called nasal nitric oxide. And that, that acts as a, a vasodilator. So it helps to dilate the blood vessels. It also helps uh, to perfuse oxygen within lungs. It has a role in uh, our brain chemistry as well as neurotransmission. So that's another reason that we benefit from breathing through the nose. The other thing, and uh, I think this is probably where we're building up to, is when we breathe through the nose versus through the mouth, 
we start to slightly build up the levels of carbon dioxide in the blood. And often people think of carbon dioxide as just a waste gas, just something that we want to get rid of. But as I know you know, because I've heard it discussed on your podcast before, there's something called the Bohr effect, which means that we need carbon dioxide within our system, a certain pressure of carbon dioxide within our system to release oxygen into the cells and, and the muscles. Uh, and, and this is the Bohr effect. So with that pressure of carbon dioxide in the blood, hemoglobin is less, uh, it, it holds on to the oxygen less and, it, and it, it kind of releases it into all those cells and muscles. So what we're doing is delivering oxygen more efficiently. And obviously that's, that's critical. Very good. Yeah. So that's the first thing I would say, breathe through your nose when you're at rest, breathe through your nose when you are walking, breathe through your nose whenever you are within that aerobic threshold. And then you can start to build it up from there to breathing at slightly higher intensities through the nose as well. What well, one of the things just to pick up there before we maybe get into yeah. like the performance aspect, because that's like the yeah. life aspect, which again, the functional breathing versus dysfunctional breathing really, you know, and I think I remember the stats, but it's something like over 50% yeah. of athletes have dysfunctional breathing. That doesn't mean they're unfit. They're just not optimizing it. But the biggest yeah. thing that I've learned, which again, this whole oxygen good, CO2 bad, you know, I think we're trained into that kind of thing yes, that we exactly. think, oh, yeah. we need to take in more oxygen. CO2 sucks. It's terrible. But actually like learning that when we hold on more CO2, it's like these like little mini motors in our system. That's how I see it. Little like these, these little things that are just pumping a bit more of that oxygen into the right areas of our body. So yeah, actually becoming more CO2 tolerant for me was one of my biggest learnings early on. You know, this for you might start like that, like easy, but. I think maybe general public, if we can hold on to that CO2 more, that's really interesting. What, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, I think you, it's, it's absolutely right. What we are trained to believe is that when we need to take a breath in, it's because we need to bring more oxygen to our system, which is not correct. Um, our blood oxygen saturation generally sits at 95 to 99%. What triggers our need to breathe is the buildup of carbon dioxide in our system. So the chemoreceptors in the brain will monitor those carbon dioxide levels. And that's what triggers us to want to take our next breath in. And, you know, that's quite strange for lots of people to get their heads around because they think, oh no, if I breathe bigger, if I bring more air into my system, I'm going to be oxygenating my body. And, and, and to be frank, that has been taught in, in yoga, in certain contexts in yoga for a long time, big breath, good breath. Um, but actually, no, what we want to do is take a, a slow breath, but a deep breath. And let's just think about the difference between a big breath. So a big breath is the sort of thing you might do if you walk around the corner and there's a, a bear, you go, you breathe through your mouth and it will be all be upper chest. A deep breath is when you're breathing through your nostrils, you're slowing the breath down and you're inflating the lungs. And to get that, you can really focus on the movement of the lower ribs. So as you breathe in through your nose with that slow controlled breath, you want to feel your lower ribs expanding outwards. So I always think of it as an accordion. So as you breathe in, it's expanding outwards. And as you breathe out, it's drawing back to center again. So yes, mm. it's that point that the, the desire to breathe in is not driven by a deficit of oxygen, unless we're practicing breath holds, but by the buildup of carbon dioxide. But at the same time, we need to become more tolerant to that buildup of carbon dioxide in order to deliver the, the oxygen to our cells as efficiently as possible. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, it's really, really well put. And you know, hearing it like like the way you yeah, make it simple. And and that's what I like about this, that yes, it's, you know, we can get really complex and go deep sciencey, but actually when you explain just the headlines of what's happening, it's really appealing to people. And I, you know, very recently some of the players I work with, I've started to describe and they're going, wow, is that is that actually really happening? And these are like top athletes. Yeah. These are like kind of world, you know, top 20 players that they're kind of going, wow, is that is that actually real? And so it's really interesting that even at that level where they're paying attention to so many things. They like their nutrition, their sleep, their recovery, their muscles. The one thing, like it's the, you know, I think Patrick McCune says, it's like, it's like the new frontier of sports, isn't it? Like yeah. he's been doing it for 20 odd years and he's backed it all up. And like now everyone thinks it's the new frontier, which I think is great. Like the more we can know about it, the better. Yeah. It, as you say, it's considered the new frontier, but at the same time, you can get the basics of it in half an hour to an hour. You know, I could sit with someone for an hour and give them enough to set them off on the right trajectory. If you want to then take it further to some of the more performance elements and, and you know, looking into uh, intermittent hypoxic, hypocapnic training, et cetera, then that, that takes a little longer to get into. But the basics are really, really simple. Breathe through your nose, breathe slowly, 
don't breathe too much. So uh, you need to breathe in line with your metabolic demands and breathe deeply down into your lungs, as I was just explaining with that movement of the rib cage. And mm. that will set you off on the right track. Mm. That's a good, really good place to yeah. start. And again, for many people, including athletes, that in itself is like, wow, that can just up their, their performance level. I'm not sure if, again, putting you on the spot here, the percentage improvements, any thoughts on that? So when you start breathing through your nose, and that, do, you, do you know yeah. that offhand? So there was a study done where, in which uh, Patrick might have talked about this on your training, in which they, um, they compared, uh, they were amateur runners, so they weren't at professional ranks, but a group of runners breathing through their nose versus a group of runners breathing through their mouth. And then uh, on the exhalation, they measured the composition of oxygen and the, uh, the nasal breathers had 3.4 or something like that percentage less oxygen within that exhalation, indicating a more efficient uptake of oxygen to the cells. So, you know, we're talking small-ish percentages, but as you know, even half a percent can make a massive difference. Mm, no, it's powerful. And let's, yeah. let's kind of like move to the, the next step, which for me, it's the mind-body connection. So we're talking yeah. about optimal breathing. We, you know, you mentioned, you know, the vagus nerve, the parasympathetic, sympathetic. This is like, okay, so a squash player, nerves and anxiety might be kicking in, or they might even be yeah. in the middle of a match after a hard rally. Yeah, you know what's happening with with the mind in regards to this. So we talked about the physiology and and the chemistry going on, but I think it's really important what's happening up there now as well. Yeah. Um. So I guess there's two different things you've asked there. One is about nerves and anxiety, which probably more the pre-match and into maybe the early stages of the match. And then the other thing I think you're talking about is, you know, where we we're really hitting the threshold, where we're going through those hard rallies and and. There's a certain point at which, of course, where nasal breathing will just not be possible. Um, you, you know, you'll be, and, and that's natural. Um, and at that really hard point, then feel free to start breathing through the mouth. But what I would say is at the end of that rally, then you have an opportunity to shift back through the gears. So firstly, one or two full exhalations through the mouth to get rid of the, the excess carbon dioxide. So dump that excess carbon dioxide. And then from there, focus on getting back to the nasal breath as quickly as you can. So it might be at first it's nasal breath in, mouth breath out, but you're working towards that nasal breath in and out before the start of the next rally. And you've got what, mm. 10 to 15 seconds before the start of the next rally. So that is ample time to get back to that place if, you, if you've been training in this kind of modality. Mm. Let, let me just reinforce it because yeah. I think that's a very important point. I think a lot of people listening would, would want to try this out, you know, in their league matches and their whatever, like pro matches, anything. So yeah. you have a hard rally, you finish it, accept you're going to bury through your mouth, accept there's going to be a bit of hyperventilation in that upper yeah. part of the lungs. Yeah. Um, and then correct me if I'm wrong when I finish this, then you, you're looking to dump that CO2. That's fine to breathe like that. But yeah. before the start of the rally, you want to ideally go back into the kind of the nose slow and low, ideally, is that, is that how you take someone's breath? Exactly that, exactly that. And with the dumping of the CO2, it's, you know, it's a complete exhalation through the mouth, really, you know, really let it go. Mm. Um, studies suggest that the best position for that kind of recovery breath is hands on knees. Often you see people mm. hands on head, not in our sport so much, but in, in football or rugby, but hands on knees. In the context of sport, obviously lying on your back would be even better, but you're not going to get down on your back in the middle of a game. Um, obviously there's a psychological element to that as well. Do you want your opponent to think that you're gassed or maybe you're double bluffing them? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah research suggests that in your training sessions, for example, uh, where it doesn't matter so much, um, you might have done a really tough ghosting session, whatever, hands on knees, dump the CO2, and then focus on getting back to the nasal breath um, before the, the next set. And mm. it is possible, you know, even at my level, even at my standard, you know, I do my ghosting practice 10 seconds between sets, I, I dump the CO2 and then for the start of the next set, you're back, you're ready to, to start again. And if over time, it really does help with your recovery. That's fantastic. I love that. And yeah, it's so interesting, the hands on knees, isn't it? Because, you know, when yeah. you thought, yeah, like, you know what, like look tough and yeah, and yeah. then not even look tough. There's the kind of get better oxygen in. And again, maybe it's counterintuitive to the stuff. Yeah, so, it, yeah. it relaxes the diaphragm and, uh, and it, it positions uh, through the, you know, the pelvis, mm -hmm. cage, uh, head axis. It, it's, yeah. it's kind of the positioning helps to breathe most efficiently. Mm -hmm. But yeah, as I say, there might be a psychological element that you don't want your opponent to see there with your hands on your knees gasping. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now what's happening inside? What's happening to our brain at this point? Because... I know when, when we, when the brain's kind of checking the body and it's looking, it might notice 
emergency. It's like, okay, we need, we need to kind of activate ourselves, but we're trying to then take that fight or flight mode back down a notch. So can you explain what's now happening when you are optimally breathing between the rallies, like you suggested to the, to the brain and the way we think? Yeah. So what you're doing is you're trying to bring your heart rate down, for example. So uh, again, we talk about parasympathetic and uh, sympathetic. So with each cycle of the breath, we stimulate the, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic response to different degrees. So as we breathe in, we're stimulating the sympathetic fight or flight branch of the nervous system. As we breathe out, we're stimulating the rest and digest parasympathetic branch of the nervous system. So what we're trying to do is when the, when the heart rate is elevated, when we're in that fight flight response, then we can use the breath to help us come back to balance, to homeostasis. So again, that goes back to the question around anxiety, where we are stressed or anxious about a potential threat that's putting us into the fight or flight response. If we then focus on taking those slow and light breaths, so a light breath and the slow breath signals to the nervous system that everything's okay, that we're, that we're safe, that we can relax. And then particularly by lengthening the out breath, that's going to further stimulate that parasympathetic response. So from that, uh, from that perspective, the nervous system, that's what's going on. Yeah, it's fascinating. Again, I'm so glad I've, I've found that and you, we, we're talking about this because, you know, I'm just thinking the situation, you're in a match. Uh, you know, all of a sudden you're, you, I know you're 10, 10, one or 10, eight up big rally. You lose that next rally, 10, nine. Now, all of a sudden you're alert. You're like going, wow. Okay. Like I, I can't lose the next point. Or you, you have these unhelpful thoughts, you know, this, this, the mind is racing. Everything's going a million miles an hour. And to then try and be rational and calm and make a good decision without the breath work seems completely counterintuitive. It's like, it's like, you need that first stepping stone. You need to get that right first before you can even have a conversation with yourself. That's how I'm starting to interpret it right now. And, and I'd like to know your thoughts on that. Absolutely. It's an anchor point. So you can anchor your awareness into what's here. Those thoughts might be swirling. I, I had it kind of the opposite way, actually. On Sunday, I was 10-5 down in the fifth, and I managed to come through 13-11. Cool. Each point, I just came back to my breath uh, between each point and just feel the breath, anchor your awareness. Don't worry about the score. Just play the next point. And that, you know, it can help you to provide that, that focal point for your attention that cuts out all the noise and the jibber-jabber. That's fantastic. I, I bet did the other guy kind of hire you to kind of give you the secrets after that? You beat the guy, was he smashing <laughs> rackets? Was he going nuts? I know it, actually. You're <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, dude, I've got a secret here. Come book in the first session with me. I'll show you what I did there. Um, again, I, I don't know, but there are quite a lot of people you play know that you are obviously yoga, breath work. They know you've got almost like the, the Jedi training <laughs> to win more matches. Yeah, so, some of them do, yeah. Some of the, the ones I'm closer to. Uh, I like that. Not the broader number yeah. in the club yeah, but yeah. alistair our coach down there certainly knows and maybe we'll do some stuff together fantastic i love that that's really good and yeah so let's so, so we're talking about a match i'm just going to kind of go back half a step it's probably very similar in preparation for a match so you know and we can even talk timelines whether it's like you know does a i'm talking someone who take it a little bit seriously maybe the club player will just turn up and play but yeah a lot of the teams i work with in the states you know they're at their hotel they go to the event you know should they be practicing breath holding an hour before they're feeling nervous and anxious, their, their yeah. mind is racing. What would be your most practical toolkit for someone who's playing something important, something that means something to them? And, and if there's any timelines to that, that would be really cool. So the moment before they step onto court. Yeah. So in the. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I guess you can take it in different time stages. So if it's much earlier in the day at, at the hotel, then, yeah, I would recommend taking some practices that, uh, firstly, lengthening the out-breath. And then some simple breath holding practices like box breathing, where you breathe in for four, you hold for four, you breathe out for four. 
then you hold for four, and that's one cycle of the breath. Also, um, what we call in yoga as uh, digital pranayama, so you're using your fingers to do alternate nostril breathing. Those types of things can really help just bring the mind into focus. So similar as what I was just saying, with when you're in court, use the breath there to anchor your awareness and to kind of move away from all of the, the mental chitter chat that might be going on. Mm-hmm. A little before the match, so uh, in the immediate kind of uh, moments before you go on, on court, Again, you can use that lengthened out breath practice. So uh, maybe you breathe in for four, you breathe out for six or eight, and that's just going to help to bring you back to that sense of, of balance. So you don't want to be overstimulated and anxious. You want your mind to be focused and present before you go on call. However, you don't go too far in the opposite direction. You don't want to overstimulate the parasympathetic response. I think I've heard you say this before, that you kind of went down that path too much and you, exactly. you got on, you're a little too relaxed and lax, perhaps. You weren't mm-hmm. kind of in that zone. Uh, so what we do within in the Oxygen Advantage, we work with breath-holding protocols, and that helps to provide a little bit of stimulus to focus the mind. And also, it has a number of different benefits uh, physiologically as well. So what we would do is take two light breath holds, and then you would take five strong breath holds following that. And that's also going to help to encourage the, the spleen to contract and release more blood cells into your, into, your, uh, into your cardiovascular system. So two light breath holds, five strong breath holds with about a minute in between. That's going to help you to really focus the mind. It's going to bring you into that state of balanced focus. And it's also going to provide that extra um, oxygen carrying capacity to the bloodstream as well. Mm, very nice. And so the player, I'm just thinking of scenarios, they get there and the classic, I'm, I'm so nervous and, you know, and, and they know they've, their level of nerves, they, yeah. their arm is shaking, their legs are heavy. They, they just know they're not going to start well. What would be like, if we can even call it like an emergency breath work session, something where you go, okay, I'm so heightened and you might've already mentioned, but I think it's worth just giving us, you know, an example of something where you go, right, the nerves have just completely gone and I'm, I'm literally just a wreck at the moment. How can we yeah. bring them back online? So- Firstly, is breathwork the right place to start in that condition? Maybe it's, you, maybe you just need to move a little bit, get down, do a little bit of yoga, get down, do dance. <laughs> just do something that just shakes some of that nerves out. Then we can come back to the breath, I think, from there. So I would say, again, the practice, which we've already discussed a couple of times, that really simple practice of lengthening the out-breath is good. Another practice that we would take in that, condi- in that situation would be to work with a number of light breath holds to begin with. So just sitting, just take five, six, seven light breath holds, maybe some walking breath holds as well. Just something again to get into the body, out of the mind, and also to bring the nervous system back into balance. Mm, that's really well put because, yeah, for me immediately, I was like, right, let's fix this with breath holding or breath work. Yeah. And actually, you know what? There's something else you might need to do. And I love yeah. that, that movement aspect of it. Yeah, really good stuff and really powerful. So um, I was going to maybe move into that, some of the other areas you do for now. Is sure. there anything yeah. I'm sure we'll talk breathwork as well as we go through. But, you know, you, you've, you've said that you, well, you said, but you are, you're a qualified mobility specialist. And, yeah. you know, they, we talk about, well, uh, when I looked at your website, there's yoga, there's mobility training. And actually, they, they may be two distinct separate things. So, yeah, do you want to just take us through a little bit of, again, part of your journey to become a, you know, a, a, yeah. a mobility specialist and how this all links up together? Yeah, I will do that. The one, I would just like to say one final thing about the breath, and that is really in relation to sleep, because you mentioned it just now, and we hear a lot about sleep hygiene. If we're getting our eight hours of sleep, if we're, you know, uh, staying away from blue light, we're sleeping in dark room, et cetera, et cetera, but we're spending those eight hours breathing through our mouth. And, and aggravating our nervous system, stimulating that fight flight response sleep for eight hours, that is going to be poor quality sleep. And that is not conducive to then starting your next day, your next training session in a good place. So I just think it's really important that we emphasize how critical it is that you focus on breathing through your nose at night rather than breathing through your mouth. Great point. Yeah, to, that, yeah. No, no, no thank I'll, you. I'll move on to that, the, the movement side. So yeah, perfect. Yoga and mobility training are often considered one and the same thing. And you'll see videos on Instagram of people sort of just wafting their arms around a little bit and say, yeah, great mobility session. That's not mobility training. I think everyone knows what yoga is, broadly speaking. In yoga, we, we move through a series of postures. Each have different uh, demands on the body, each have different benefits. It's an inter- integrative practice, i.e. it's full body integration in most of these postures. 
And it provides a number of really profound benefits. So it, yeah, it's a great practice for calming the mind, blah, blah, blah. But you know, you'll learn uh, balance, proprioception, uh, you'll uh, improve joint stability and strength in different positions. So there are lots of different benefits to those postures. Mm -hmm. And of course, over time, some of those benefits will include improving your flexibility and in some cases, improving your mobility, but that's not guaranteed because okay. flexibility and mobility are not one and the same thing. Flexibility is your, your ability to move a, a joint or a muscle group passively through a range of motion. So if you're lying on your back and I move your, your leg towards your chest, that is a gauge of your flexibility, right? Mobility is your ability to actively move a joint through its range of potential motion. So if you are standing upright and you lift your leg towards your chest without any other intervention or support, that's your mobility. So mm -hmm. on your back, being moved is flexibility, standing up, actively moving is mobility. And that requires not only flexibility of the muscles that are being stretched. So the hamstrings in this case that we're talking about, but it requires strength of the opposing muscle group that cross the other side of the joint. So in this case, the hip flexors. Mm. So what mobility training is, um, it actually incorporates elements of strength training as well as flexibility training. And it's not very flashy, to be honest. You, again, you see people doing things like dragon pistol squats and all these crazy things and say, great mobility session. That's not mobility training. That is an expression of mobility. The ability to move through those types of one-legged squat means that you have good mobility. It's not going to help you to get to, to a, a place where you have good mobility. Mm. Uh, and really, those are strength practices that require mobility. Yeah, and so, I really like how you put it into those buckets of flexibility versus mobility because, yeah. you know, I'm sure you're going to unpack this, but the classic case of, yeah, you know, you're, just, you're, you're, you're stretching your muscles, but you're not doing it in the range of motion that is appropriate for squash, you know? So exactly. I think that's yeah. really, exactly. feel free exactly. to expand yeah. on that. Yeah. And, um, and so what we do with in, in mobility training, we work with fairly simple practices, but they're quite demanding. They're quite challenging to, to the nervous system. So we will work with rotational movement, isolated joint rotations. So I might be moving my arm through a very specific, but very active and an expansive range of movement. And that's going to help us to maintain our existing range of movement. So again, going back to the nervous system, the nervous system doesn't want to waste energy. Mm -hmm. It wants to maintain what's called homeostasis. So it, you know, it wants us to be in a position where we are expending as least energy as possible. So it doesn't have to go and we don't have to go and find food to keep fueling the system. So with that in mind, the nervous system is not going to continue to expend energy on maintaining ranges of movement that we don't use. So in the past as hunter gatherers, we'd be climbing over rocks, et cetera, et cetera. We'd be using lots of range of movement. I might be climbing from a tree and you know, blah, blah, blah. Now people tend to be sitting at a desk. They might reach up for a tin of beans, but they're not really using that full range of movement. So these rotational movements are the, are the starting point to maintain what we've got currently. And then we'll work with other practices to create more range. So if I have a, a, a limitation in shoulder flexibility, we'll work with different practices that help to, to increase that range of movement. And then again, you bank that by carrying on with the rotational movements. So to create ranges of movement, we work with a lot of isometric loading practices um, called pales and rails, so progressive angle and, and regressive angle uh, isometric loading. Again, if I go back to the example of a hamstring stretch, so I might be stretching that hamstring. Maybe I've got my hamstring up on a box or a box or a chair. I'm leaning forwards, bringing the hamstring into a stretch. But at the same time, I'm activating that hamstring muscle group to send more affluent feedback to the nervous system. What that's doing is telling the nervous system it's okay to be here. And the nervous system will then respond by giving you more range to move into. Because what we often think flexibility is, is the length of our muscles, but it's mm -hmm. not. It's called stretch tolerance, how comfortable our muscles are moving through a particular range. Now, I'll give you the example. I'm going to stick with the hamstrings. If you come to me and say, Matt, I'm really stiff in my hamstrings. I can only barely reach uh, to the tops of my shins. We work together a number of months and you're touching your toes. Um, what that means is your hamstrings haven't lengthened. 
by the by the length of your shins. Otherwise, they'll just be dangling <laughs> by the backs of your knees. What we've done is teach your nervous system that it's okay to move through that greater range of motion. So that's why we work with the, the progressive angle loading. Then what we'll do is work with the regressive angle loading to train the muscle on the opposite side. So you're building strength through that muscle group that then can transfer to your practice and your training, uh, your game. So you can actually apply force through that range of movement that you've created. Wow, man, that is incredible. Like I've just sat here just absorbing all of that and the knowledge you're holding in there is, is, is off the scale. That's, that's brilliant. And if we're just looking for something practical, like someone can take yeah. away, if we're talking squash, obviously the lunge and maybe even the hip flexors and, you know, yeah. the, I think James Wolstrop, you know, quite popularized it where he's in a push-up position. He would lunge his right leg outside his right hand. He would then twist the right hand upwards. Yeah. He'd then go back. He'd put his, he'd go back to push up. He'd then do like a vinyasa and get up to there. And then yeah. and basically I think he said that one exercise he's probably maybe slightly exaggerating was like the game changer for him like like yeah. doing that was like the overall thing there was obviously more he did um so in your experience and what you've just said if squash player was to go okay i don't really warm up that much but i want to just get a yeah. little bit of mobility going on how would you suggest they go about this yeah so again that practice that you just referenced with james it is great but what if you can't get your foot outside your hand right <laughs> yeah so you if you're if you don't have that range of mobility then that's going to be a practice that is uh, not accessible to you so i would say go right back to the basics and firstly there's a practice uh, in functional range conditioning they call it your, your daily routine and just like you brush your teeth every day you, you move through this daily routine which is a just a series moving top to toe of joint rotations. So we'll be, begin with the neck, we'll move down to the shoulders, we do a number of movements with the spine, move down to the hips, the knees, the ankles, etc. So it's, it's just setting you up for the day you're in a really good state. That is the first place to start. That's, gonna, that's like WD-40 on your joints. It's just oh, going nice. to keep everything moving nicely. But then what we have to look at is what are the specific joint limitations that are restricting you from getting into a particular posture or, or, or accessing a particular movement and then we have to work on them in isolation so again these are simple movements it might be a hamstring stretch it might be shoulder flexion it might be that we need to create more rotation through the spine through the thoracic region whatever it is it's individual to each person and it's based on specific movement patterns and requirements so squat players will have obviously very different requirements than cyclists or rugby players etc etc so there is this principle that i'm sure you've heard of the said principle the specific adaptation to impose demand. And really that's what mobility training is designed to do. Identify what the requirements are, identify what the existing mobility and movement capabilities are and what restrictions there may be, and then close the gap between the two. Fantastic. Yeah, because obviously that was a very general question and it's a lot yeah. more individualistic than that, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, yeah, fantastic. Um, before I maybe move on, was there any, because again, this, this is completely new territory for me. So was there yeah. anything else within the mobility slash yoga territory that we wanted to touch on before we maybe get into some of our final subjects? Yeah. I mean, there's just so much that you could talk about. Uh, yoga is a great practice. As I say, it, that you will get many benefits from practice, uh, that balance, that proprioception, ability to connect with your body, but you've got to think of it as it's a relatively complex practice. And there are all different modalities of yoga as well. Everything from lying over a bolster covered in blankets to, you know, really sweating hard and working very hard through a series of vinyasas. So mm. there are many different types of yoga. I would say generally for squash players who are already training and working hard, yoga can be a great counterpoint to that. So it's an opportunity again to rebalance the nervous system, recovery days, et cetera, et cetera. Use that practice, a little bit of light uh, exercise for want of a better term. It is a really valuable thing to bring into your armory. Mm. Again, I just want to stress that mobility training is quite simple. It's not about fancy tricks, but it's very intentional, very deliberate and quite hard work. So, you know, it's going to take a bit out of the nervous system, but we have this notion of, um, you know, super compensation with it within the body and nervous system. So we want always the body to get stronger. So say you're injured you don't want to just get back to your pre-injury levels. You want to get even stronger than your pre-injury levels. So you don't get injured again. And this is where obviously strength training, but I would see mobility more sitting in that bucket than in, in the yoga bucket. Um, 
But what we can do is encourage the nervous system to add more stuff, more stuff for want of a better term, more quality stuff into the body. So again, if I take the, the example of, um, maybe I'll take a different example. Let's take the example of chin-ups because that's the same sort of thing. I'm doing some chin-ups. My nervous system thinks that was really difficult. I really didn't enjoy that. So what I'm going to do is add more stuff and more good stuff to, to that region of the body. So I'm going to make the muscles stronger so that the next time this individual does those chin-ups, it's not going to be so difficult for me. I'm going to have an easier time with it. So that's com super compensation. And that's the same thing that we're doing in mobility training. We want to ensure that the joint is really capable, really strong and capable of handling the loads and the forces that we put through it. Really well put. And yeah, I think very simple, but that, that's what I like about this stuff. And I'll reference this towards the end again, but do you, do you work with people online? Like if people want to access you, where can they access you? Like I assume go straight to your website because I think that this, I'm sure a lot of place is my website, uh, mattgilyoga1word.co.uk. I do have Instagram. I'm a bit sporadic with Instagram. Uh, I'm not very uh, dedicated with it, but I've been time to time, I, you know, every other week or something, I'll put something up there. But the website is the best place to go. And yeah, I work online with people, both mobility and breath work, um, and obviously in person as well around this area. Fantastic. MattGillYoga.co.uk. We'll yeah. put that in the show notes as well. That's great. So good, brilliant. Moving into like our last little section that I want to talk about. Yeah. Um, again, this comes into much more the mindfulness, again, stuff yeah. that, that I think we both love. But yeah, lessons from and lessons and wisdom from yoga and mindfulness and how this actually helps us be better squash players. Because we can talk all day about, yeah, the benefits. I, I like the idea of going, okay, and then how is this going to be practical yeah. on that squash court when we're under pressure? Yeah. So big, broad thing to kick off with. What, what comes to mind for you, first of all? Well, there's so much in the, the yoga and mindfulness traditions that you could point to. Um, and I was giving this some thought, knowing that we were going to be having this discussion. And where I've come down to is um, there is a, a key text of yoga called the Yoga Sutras. You may have heard of it, um, written by an author, potentially around about 400 uh, AD. And it's one of the probably the most well-known yoga uh, texts. And it's the one you'll hear referenced a lot in, in yoga classes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now within that, he has what he calls the yamas and the niyamas, which are observances and restraints. And I think that's a really good place for us to start. And I know we're, you know, we're perhaps limited by time, but there's five of each of these. So there's five yamas. He's got ahimsa, which means non-harming, satya, which is truthfulness, and staya, which is, uh, not stealing, brahmacharya, brahmacharya, sorry, which was originally celibacy, but means kind of energy restraint and a paragraha, which means non-covetousness. So I think if we were to take each of those in turn and think how we can reflect those back. So again, mm. these were originally designed to achieve transcendence and to stop the workings of the mind. But I think we can take each of those and have like a more practical aspect to them. So firstly, with uh, non-harming, I always reframe this as uh, the inner critic. So the people that we, the person who we generally harm the most is ourself with that inner voice, with that inner narrative. So um, how can we identify when that's coming up? How can we identify and, and, and uh, find solutions to mitigate against that becoming a powerful kind of foe? So there are lots of things, again, we can go back to the breath as we discussed earlier. So when those, that chitta chatter comes up, we can return to a focus on the breath. But a physical gesture is also really good, particularly on court. When you're starting to get that, that noise, that chitter chatter in, in your ear, a physical movement can be great. Um, and indeed, you know, there's the story of the Buddha when he achieved enlightenment. You might have heard this. And there was the demon Mara trying to kind of distract him from achieving enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And what he did is said, I see you, Mara. So first of all, recognize that those thoughts are there. And then what he did is he touched the earth. He made a physical gesture and grounded himself. And from there, the, Mara, the mm -hmm. demon Mara was defeated and he achieved enlightenment. So I think, and, and just, just on that, I just want to, uh, not yeah. yeah, but I love this idea that what I hear a lot of athletes talk about now, you've got Djokovic talk about it, even Michael Jordan, Ali Farag references this acceptance and dynamic yeah. acceptance, where yeah. it's actually maybe mental strength, mental toughness in the past wasn't seen as that. It was like, no, just yeah. grit it hard, ignore those thoughts. No, we can't have those emotions, but I love that we can actually accept that we're human, accept we're going to, you know, be hit by that first arrow, you know, all of those things, yeah. really, really powerful stuff. And actually then we can learn to deal with it. Like what's the action based on that acceptance, that original acceptance, then we have a bit of an action. And yeah, I just want to, I think that's how I interpret that as well. Yeah, that exactly. And we might come on to a little bit more of that in a moment. 
Um, the second thing we have is sati, which is truthfulness. We have to be brutally honest with ourselves, with where we're at, and with what our realistic expectations and goals are. So that's, you know, that's a second element. We then have asteya, non-stealing. And I think for me, again, I reinterpret it a little bit as self-sabotage. Like how am I stealing my own power away, my own time away? And what are the, the strategies I can put in place to mitigate against those? And that comes a little bit to the next one, brahmacharya. So energy conservation, being really conscious about what we're putting into ourselves. So what are we eating? What are we drinking? What are we consuming uh, visually and with our ears? All those types of things really important to be conscious of. And then finally, in this list of things is um, a parigraha, which is non-covetousness, which is, again, I think that's a sense of not judging yourself by others, by others' paths. So Ali Parag might be winning all the titles, but your goal might to be hit to top 20, but that is your goal. So don't worry about his goals, worry about your own goals and, and set your path accordingly. So that's those kind of list of five things I think that's we can really take cool. some really good lessons from. And then we have the Niyamas, which are observances. First, we have uh, Tapas, which is, um, well, originally it was the, the willingness to bear austerities. But really, it's do the work, be committed to the process and to the work. It's going to be painful at times, but be willing to mindfully extend yourself. And, you know, this can be applied to sport. I also work with corporate people. So, again, it's how do we extend ourselves mindfully within that right zone. So, again, we, we think about stress. We want to be in that zone where we're in the right place. We're not yeah. overstretching ourselves, but we're not under-stimulating ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um such is cleanliness. So this is about tidying up your habits. It goes back a little bit to what we're saying in terms of be mindful of what you take in, but be dis, you know, be disciplined with your habits, have processes, have routines in place that are conducive to supporting your goals and, you know, have a morning routine. And they're really important to set yourself off in, in the right way at the start of the day. Um, we have Santosha, which is contentment. So that can equally, that could be considered a negative like just be content with where you're at but i think of it more about celebrating the wins so i identify where you've had wins celebrate those identify what brought you to those wins and then take that into what what you're doing moving forwards we have svadhyaya which is self-study uh, and that's really just a commitment to con constantly doing the work and bettering yourself and then finally in this list we had Ishvara Pranidhana, which originally was, um, the original translation is surrender to God, but God in the yogic system is not really how we think of it in Judeo-Christian -Christ systems. For Ishvara Pranidhana, I think, so believe in the process, trust in the process, surrender to the process. If all of those components are in place, then you're in a, you are in a pretty good place. So they are the, the lessons that I think we can really take from that, that wisdom philosophy of yoga. I'm going to re-listen to that several times because there's some real wisdom in that. And thank you for, you know, having a real good thought on it. Um, just a real random question. Do you have that written as a PDF with graphics somewhere? Because that would be really powerful if I'm really, really honest. There's some real power in that. Yeah, I, I haven't, but uh, I, I can easily do that <laughs> and bring that to life. Yeah, I was yeah, thinking, I was just thinking yeah, a little series different. on each of those. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. And again, I'm more than happy to signpost that in the show notes because that will obviously be afterwards if you ever... Do make something, you know, send it. And if anyone's listening now, check in the show notes. It might well be there. So yeah. I think that's such a powerful, it's almost like a blueprint. It's almost like a map yeah. you can kind of look towards. And, you know, not that it's like a checklist of things, but it's going, actually, if I can look at these, oh, yes, I might be doing eight or nine out of 10 for that. Oh, I might be one yeah. or two, two, two out of 10 for that. Hey, maybe I just need to have a little look at that and recalibrate it. But that, yeah, it feels a very holistic approach. And I love how you've put it into basically almost, yeah, a squash context. So um, maybe I'll just test you a little bit. Could you run through the 10 of those again, at like almost like succinctly in a way, just so people can go, ah, right. There's like, that's, that's the kind of the takeaway 90 seconds of that little bit. Yeah, sure thing. So ahimsa is not harming. So that's the, the inner critic, identify the inner critic. There is satya, which is truthfulness. Be brutally honest with yourself where you're at and your realistic goals. There is asteya, which is not stealing, self-sabotage. How are you stealing your own power, your, your own time away from yourself? Brahmacharya, which is energy restraint. Be mindful of what you're consuming physically and, and also what you're watching, what you're reading, etc. And there is aparagraha, which is non-covetousness. So don't judge yourself by the paths of others. Look only to your kind of your own uh, journey and your own goals. 
Then we have tapas, which is do the work and uh, commit to the process. We have saucha, which is clean up your, your shit, for one of a better mm -hmm. term. So have your processes, your routines, your structures in place that are going to empower you to best effect. Santosha, uh, contentment, celebrate the wins and take learnings from those wins as to how you can move forward. Spadhyaya is commitment to study. So an ongoing process of uh, self-study and self-betterment. And then Ishvana Pranidhana, Ishvara Pranidhana, sorry, put my teeth back in. Uh, that is uh, surrender and trust in the process. Right of applause to you there, Matt. That's brilliant. <laughs> Fantastic. What a, what a great little bit there. And, and again, I can't emphasize enough. Thank you so much for putting that together. And you know, it's got my juices flowing there a little bit. Like I said, I, I really got to unpack that and such a beautiful transition to squash because yeah, it's not just about, you know, and you said this before being at, at one sitting on a mountaintop, meditating, being insane, loving what you're doing, but actually having no cutting edge as well. Listen, let's get real. We want to win more squash matches. Like yeah. that's, that's almost yeah. like a starting point. Okay. But if it's a win at all costs and, and we're, we're blind by that, that's not great. But what you described there, I think it gets the balance really nice. There's, there's a bit of acceptance. There's a bit of winning. There's a bit of not yeah. judging yourself too harshly, you know, really, really well done. So thanks. Appreciate that. Um, so listen, just in closing, this has been a delightful conversation, but before I kind of wrap up, is there anything we haven't touched that you kind of think that might be, I'm sure once we stop recording, you'd be like, oh, I wish I'd said that, but anything that comes to mind right now that you'd like to leave the, the listeners with any general thoughts, what, what, what do you think they can take away from this? Cause there's been so much gold within this, by the way. Yeah. Um, I think there's a few things first. Um, if you take away anything from today, it's breathe through your nose, <laughs> breathe lightly, breathe deeply with that movement of the rib cage, uh, through your nostrils and then apply that to your training when you're building your, your aerobic base. Um, as we discussed, it may at other times be necessary to, uh, breathe through your mouth, but as much as possible, breathe through your nose and carry that through your everyday life and into your training. And the other thing I think we haven't really talked about is meditation. Um, and meditation, I think sometimes gets a bit of a bad rep in that it, it's been misinterpreted and it puts people off. So I was having this conversation with a friend down at my squash club the other day, actually, and he's like, I won't meditate because I can't meditate because, mm. um, the, you know, the, I just can't clear my mind and not about that. Yeah. Take it away that it is not about having a still mind, even Patanjali that we just went through the 10 lessons of Patanjali. He says yoga is the restriction of the workings of the mind. It's not the, the cessation of the workings of the mind. Your mind is busy. Your mind is trained for distraction. So I think the average attention span now is five seconds or something mm -hmm. like that. We're on TikTok, we're on Instagram, we're on WhatsApp, we're on emails, being pinged left, right, and center. Our brains are trained for distraction. Meditation is a practice that will help us to counterbalance that and start to learn how to focus better. That's all we need to think of meditation as, as focus training or being able to be present or in this moment rather than being distracted by all the other things that go on. So when you meditate, every time your mind wanders, that's because that's what your mind is designed to do and trained to do. It's not something to give yourself a hard time about. In fact, it's a moment of waking up. It's a moment when we realize, wow, my right mind really is busy, but I now have the capacity to bring it back to this focus point, whether that's your breath or whether it's whatever else that you're focusing on. So I just think that's important to bring into the conversations. Meditation is a great practice, but people put a lot of pressure on themselves when it comes to meditation and it puts a lot of people off. If we reframe it as focus training, then I think that we can probably bring more people into the practice. And again, we, we circle all the way back to where we began. Breath practices, breath training, breath work is the perfect way to focus, uh, to train the mind to focus. Mm, really well put. And yeah, lo lovely way to frame up meditation because yes, exactly that. It's like, you know, it needs to be still and I can't have any thoughts. It's like, no, I think Sam Harris said a really best thing. Something like, Every time you notice the mind is gone and you bring it back, it could be a hundred times in a minute. You're doing a good practice. That, exactly. That's the practice itself. That's it's not it. like clearing the mind and being still. It's the noticing and returning. Yeah. And as one of my teachers says, there is no benefit to being good at meditation. You don't win a medal or anything else. What meditation does, if you look back at the trajectory of your life from when you started meditating to now, then hopefully you will see a, a gradual 
improvement in the way that you're, you're able to manage life's ups and downs. It's not a panacea. It doesn't mean that there shouldn't be other interventions at times, but it just helps us. Mm, fantastic. Matt, wow, there's some serious knowledge being dropped in today's session, so I really appreciate it. Um, again, let people come and find you. MattGillYoga.co.uk, best place to go find you, yes? That's the place, yeah. Fantastic. Amazing. Well, listen, anyone that's enjoyed that, I'm sure you have. Please do share and tell people about this because Matt, you're doing some incredible work. I feel really honored that you spend the time with me today. So many good practical tips. So thank you so much for your time. And listen, good luck with the squash. Let's maybe have another chat in, in a while because I think there's a few little different nuggets and different paths we can go down, you know, and I'm sure this will be really well received. Thanks very much for your time today. Thanks, Jesse. That's great. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.